Amen. Woo! Feels good to be back in this place. It feels good to be with you all. Thank you, Danny and the worship team, for bringing us back home into this place. Um, super exciting. I didn't know if this day was ever going to come. I know we're not out of the woods yet, but um, just to be here with you all is such a gift and so excited that we still have our people that can join online. Um, we know that, as I said, we're not out of the woods yet with, with the whole uh, pandemic, but we continue to be wise and prayerful and um, hoping for that day when we'll just be able to open the doors again. Our scripture tonight is from Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 28. If you have your phone, you want to follow along, you may want to reference back to it uh, throughout uh, our time in the Word tonight. Uh, Luke is writing there in the book of Acts about Paul and his time in Athens. And um, he's coming from a pretty troubling time. Paul's been traveling around and he's been talking about this Jesus. He's been talking about the resurrection. He's been sharing this good news, and, and people have uh, gotten pretty upset with him. And so he has run now to Athens. With, he's been taken there by people for his own protection. And here we are. We join him in chapter 17 in verses 22 to 28, starting in verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens... I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. This ends the reading of the word of the Lord. I want to say happy birthday. Um, not just to Providencia, but to you all, to us, uh, because this is our birthday. Even if you are visiting here for the first time tonight or you're joining us online, we want to say happy birthday. And we want you to know that you're a part of this celebration. It's not like what celebrations we've had in the past, because not everybody's able to be here, but it is a really cool occasion for us to mark five years. Five years of what? Five years ago, we started with a group of about five people, and we sat down and we really spent time, an inefficient amount of time, really getting to know each other. 
We said, what if we could really listen and try to understand what it is that we believe, what it is that we think, what it is that uh, we've been through in our lives? And so we took the time to do that. And people will say, man, if, if you're trying to build something fast, like a church plant, that's the worst thing you could ever do, to take time and, and start a church with five people. When you want to really succeed as a church, you need about 100 people to start your church with. Uh, we reached 100 people, I think, like before Christmas of this past year. Five years in, you know. And we are taking this inordinate amount of time to really get to know each other. In fact, you ask some of the people in our church, you ask some of our staff, like, what is the heartbeat of our church? And so many people will say story group. Story group is the heartbeat of our church. What happens in story group? Well, in story group, you have about 10 people. One person is going to volunteer to write a two-page story about their life. And they're going to show up to story group and after we've done some catching up and some sharing over 45 minutes, they're going to take the next 45 minutes and we're going to focus on this one person. And they're going to tell one story from their life uh, over two pages. And we're going to spend the next 45 minutes talking about how we felt about their story. Now that is inefficient, you guys. That is so inefficient. You know how many stories we actually get through in a semester? Literally, we, we meet for about three times per month. One, one time a month we get off, and we only do it by semester. So we have fall semester and then spring semester. That's not a lot of stories you get to hear. It's so inefficient. But there is something that is happening in the process of that inefficiency that is transformational. That is absolutely transformational. And if you were going to put it in a word, the word would be embody. If you were going to put what was happening in a word, it would be embody. And then we, we had this crazy idea. Jordan and I were eating uh, lunch with this friend of ours named Kevin Jones. He's at this church called Tabernacle Missionary Baptist Church, oldest church here in West Palm Beach, predominantly African-American church. And we were building this friendship. And then we said, what if we could get our churches together and begin talking about race here in our city? What if we began to listen to each other, tell stories about our experience with race in our own families? So we started that about four and a half, four years ago, something like that. And we meet like once a quarter. And we have dinner together at their church, and we sit down and we listen to stories for about an hour and a half. It's very inefficient. It is very, very... We're not, we're not meeting every single week. But the work that happened for that hour and a half... That work that has happened over the last four years has led from acquaintances to friendships, has bonded our churches together in a way that is transformative. In fact, because of some of your participation in that type of work, you have begun to do more work 
in your industries, in your neighborhood, here in your city, to move closer, more proximate to the pain that is here in our city. And if I was going to boil that down to a word, I would say embody. And we are learning to embody something. When Paul is there in Athens, Athens is this city that is full of so much life and so much culture and so many idols and so many gods. And he's there on this, this uh, mountain, this outcropping of rocks. Uh, some of you probably know it as Mars Hill. There's been a few churches named that uh, throughout history, both going in very different directions. But, but Mars Hill, it's this place that has this history with the gods, the Greek gods. In fact, it's where um, I'll call him Mars because that's what he ends up being called in the Roman, as the Romans take over and begin to edit the story. But it's where Mars went on trial. He went on trial there because he had killed a man. Like he killed a god, I'm sorry. And the god he had killed uh, was the son of Neptune. And the reason he did that was because this god... Uh, came after his sister and was, was trying to uh, take advantage of her sexually. And he was acquitted by the other gods there on this outcropping of rocks in Greek mythology, as the story goes. And then Paul, as he stands up, he says, people of Athens. And, you know, we, we think of the city of Athens. Sometimes we don't think of the goddess Athena, but the, the goddess Athena is the warlike goddess. And Mars also is the god of war. And that he's identifying these people as the people of Athena, the people of this goddess. And that these gods of mythology have shaped the culture of Athens in, in such a way that there are so many of them within the mythology, within the belief, within the cultural system. That as we get into our first point tonight, I want to talk about our anxious idols. Our second point is going to be our giving God. And our third point is going to be our embedded way. Our embedded way. Our embodied way. These anxious gods, when you, when you begin to dive into the story of Greek mythology... Just, just if you get home tonight, just read a little bit about the creation story of Greek mythology and how it came to be. That the goddess of the earth gave birth to the goddess Uranus in the sky, and, and then the ocean goddess comes to life, and then they begin to get together, and they begin to have children, and all these plots begin to work themselves out to one goddess castrates another god, and throws him into the ocean, and from the blood of that God, the God uh, of love, is born. The story and the drama is just like, whoa. The chaos of the narrative, the chaos of their birth story is wild. And I don't say that to necessarily criticize the, their mythology but more to show what was happening. What was happening because of this narrative to the heart of these people. That they had been caught up in the anxiety 
of their gods. Their gods who needed to be appeased, if you will. There are another group of people there, the Stoics and the Epicureans. They are the modern, begin to be the modern expressions of these new philosophies. And I don't want to dive into them too much, but to tell you that some of the songs we've been singing here tonight would be such a threat, such an affront to the Epicurean and the Stoic way of life. That God is close, that God is, is love, that God invites us into our longings. These would be such radical ideas for them. And there among these people at Mars Hill, there uh, with the people of Athens, what Paul says to them is, you are very afraid. I mean, what, what he says in, in Scripture as we read it in NIV tonight is, you are very religious. But that word religious that Paul uses is one of real intense fear. That it wasn't like they were fearful of God, that that was the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. No, they were afraid like terrified. And they had to appease all these different gods to keep those gods happy so that they would not be abandoned, so that they could survive an attack from an on, oncoming empire. And in the temples of these gods, if one is to go back and to look at the paintings and to look at uh, the artifacts, the one thing that we'll, you'll see over and over again is that if you were to be a part of this worship, if you were to be a part of these temples, if you were to be a part of worshiping these gods, that your body would become objectified, that your body would be disembodied as you would be treated as a sex toy, as you would be treated as something to appease these gods, to make them happy. It was the way of disembodiment. And this is what Paul is going to speak into, into these gods these idols of anxiety that lead to a life of disembodiment. But these gods aren't so far away. The drama of these gods is not so far away. We have them here in West Palm Beach. We have them here in Providencia. If you think about the things that have been driving your anxiety this week, if you think about the things that you have sacrificed, the bodily sacrifices you have made for your work these past seven days, were you sacrificed in the process? If you're like me, maybe worry kind of takes over and your stomach begins to gnaw a little bit. You just keep your head down and keep going instead of paying attention to the pain. How have you been invited to be disembodied? through your anxieties this week. And maybe it's not in work, maybe it's in a relationship. There's something bothering you, but instead of actually speaking about it, instead of letting yourself feel it, instead of being curious about it, you just keep your head down and keep going because this fear, this anxiety keeps driving you. Maybe I'll, I'll end up alone. 
Maybe, maybe my spouse will reject me and cause me hell if I really bring it up. And so we continue in this disembodied way. And the thing about Mars Hill that I just want to flush out too is that so often we also put the implications of, of Zeus and his children, if you will, it, of, of Mars and, and, and Athena, these gods. Mars is known for his brutality in warfare, for being this god of, of war who is so brutal. And I still meet Christians today who worship that god who think that that's God, that God is somehow sitting up there just waiting to unleash His brutality on them if they do not appease Him, if they step out of line. And what a miserable, fearful, anxious existence. If the gods of Greece, let me just give you an example, were to have Twitter handles, they would remind you of some of the people in high positions of power today. All the drama that they cause, all the things that they want. You need to appease me for me to bless you. If that's caused anxiety in your life, you know what I'm talking about. You can understand the people of Athens. Back before Corona hit, our team of eight of us went to Texas, and while we were out in Texas, we had this incredible experience. You know, we're a church. We've been here for five years, as we said already tonight. We had this incredible experience. You wouldn't believe what happened out there in Texas. We went all the way to Texas to do it. Um, we prayed, and as we were praying, this is what happened. We were in this big auditorium with all these other churches from around the country, and this guy named Callum with an accent, kind of a little bit like Jordan's accent, I think. He's Scottish, right? Yeah. And uh, I couldn't tell if it's exactly like Jordan's or not. But he's from, he gets up there and he starts speaking and everybody's hearts start melting with that accent, you know. And then he says, tonight, tonight we're going to do something that maybe you haven't done in a while. And I was like, okay. It's like, tonight if you're a pastor, we want you to raise your hand. Tonight, if you're an assistant pastor, we want you to raise your hand. If pastors, we want you to come into the middle. If you brought some staff, you have friends with you sitting there at the table, we want them to gather around you. We're going to do something radical. We're going to do something crazy. We're going to have the people that are there with you <coughs> pray for you. Lay hands on your back, lay hands on your head, and pray for you. I wept. I wept as our staff and our elders that were there prayed for me. And then the next day, our staff, before we left to come back here, we gathered together in a hotel room and spoke about what was really going on in our lives. One person in the middle, sitting in a chair, sharing what was really going on. And then we prayed for each other. And we wept. It was amazing. And Jill Balderas, who many of you know, um, goes to our church, leader. Her and Stepha both pray for people when we do that in the back. Jill's been a part of a prayer ministry 
And we have been speaking with Callum about helping us pray here at Providencia like that. Helping us pray more. And we were on this phone call and, and Callum's job, he's hired to like be this prayer ministry guy at this church in Texas that actually supports us called Highland Park. And we were talking about asking people to pray for us. And Callum said, man, I need more of that in my life. And I'm like, you too, dude? This is like your job, bro. You need more of it in your life? Are you not asking enough either? I was like, man, how, what is it that, has, that keeps us from asking the person sitting next to you right now in the pew to pray for you? To pray for you. Our giving God, it brings us to our second point. Verse 24 to 26, Paul says, The God who fashioned the cosmos and everything in it, everything, everything. Now, I want to say that word one more time, everything. And I want to say this really quickly. I grew up in a tradition where it was really important for me to know that people were more important than animals and the earth. In fact, I've said it before, I had a shirt during the Love Mother Earth like movement that was so big in, in the like 90s when I was a kid. Uh, I had a shirt that said, love your father first. It's like, what is that? We've like carried on the tradition. You know, I, I'm speaking as a Protestant reformed here. If you're a Catholic, forgive me. But we carry it on this tradition of being like the little kids who are still mad at our parents, called the Catholic Church, and we're still like kicking and screaming against them, you know, like reactive. And in the process, we have lost the beauty of people like Francis of Assisi, who could see the depth, who could see God in a tree. Not that God is the tree, right? But that he could see, that's my tradition speaking, right? That he could see the beauty in an animal, in a bird, in a dog, in a cat, in a cow, in the sky, in the earth. Man, it's amazing. What can happen to us when we are disembodied by these gods, these anxious idols that tell us we have to make money no matter what, at no matter what cost, no matter what expense. You are so American, you guys. You don't even realize, I don't even realize the sacrifices we make every day that disembody us and disembody our planet. And the birds and the trees and the animals. There is such a beauty there. There is such a connection. And Paul is saying, God made everything. His fingerprint, his hand, on every single thing. And he goes on to say, this is the God, this God is the God, the Lord of heaven and earth. 
He's not confined to temples we build. He's not confined by parties we form. He's not confined by denominations or religions. This God, this God is not static. He's dynamic. This God is alive. This God doesn't dwell in temples. He dwells with us wherever we go, wherever we are. And even when we're not there, he's still dwelling there with the little rabbit in the forest who's by themselves. He's there. That this God is everywhere. And this is wild. In verse 25, Paul goes, This God is not healed by human hands. This God doesn't need the word healing there. It's therapy. Now, in my practice as a counselor, one of the things that I run into all the time, guilty as charged here, I have been, I am a client as well of a therapist, is wanting to counsel and be a therapist to guess who? My parents. All of you have tried and failed miserably. It doesn't work. But the narrative and the, the mythology that these people were presented with was these, these gods that are needing appeasing, that are so unstable, they're so anxious, and you have to make them feel okay so that some war doesn't break out, some famine doesn't work, break out, or so they don't hurt you, so that they can be nice to you. Sound familiar? But this God doesn't need our therapy. Rather, He Himself gives healing. In fact, He is healing. God is healing. The word life there, that He gives both physical and spiritual life vitality. He gives vitality. I love that word, vitality. And he wants to give you breath. He wants to give you healing. He wants to bring you back into embodiment. As part of what happens every Tuesday night when I'm hanging out with Gina and I'm beginning to breathe. And she's inviting me to slow down. And that this God calls us to breathe again. To notice your breath, even tonight. To notice how connected or disconnected you are to it. How connected are you to your body right now? How connected are you to the God who gives you your body? Who gives you breath who gives you life. This God is not here to take from you. He is here to connect you. To connect with you. And these are the good words that Paul is sharing to these anxious people. This God doesn't want to take from you. He wants to give you life and He wants to give you breath. You do not have to appease Him. You do not have to heal this God. 
You do not have to be this God's therapist. This God is not outside of our lives. He's not over our lives in some distant way. But He is in it with us. And this brings us to our last point, the embedded way, our embedded way. In verse 26 and 28, Paul says that we, that God created this world in such a way that we would, we would seek Him, reach out for Him, find Him, for He is not far. He is not far. And the people of Athens suffered from worshiping multiple anxious God who needed appeasing, and God, Paul is going to ground them in this deeper reality We all people are from the same family. All the nations share the same creative birth story. In verse 27, God wanted his artists to inhabit the whole world. He wanted them to dwell across the lands, to know its beauty like he does. And he, in his own artistry, imagined their stories and their lands, their diversity and their limits, And he did this, why? So people would seek him, reach out for him, and find him. That they would find the God of generosity, the giving God. Not for his sake, but for ours. And here is this radical part that Paul is driving home, is that he is not far from any of us. Paul's just shown it to these people of Athens. He's like, yeah, you already had an idol to this God. (laughs) It's called the unknown God. And now he's going to quote their own poets. That the poets spoke to a deeper reality. This is the God in whom we live and move and have our being. We all were born of this God, that He is embedded with us, that He is embedded in us, that we are His offspring. He has not come for us to appease Him. No, this God who is with us, the giving God, He is love, and His universe is abundance. He is not confined to the distant heavens, nor is he confined to raw material. This is a God who took on flesh, embedded with us, that we might be embodied in us and in him. Let us pray.